0: Namor Tassa Bagawato Arahato Sama Sambuddasa Namor Tassa Bagawato Arahato Sama Sambuddasa Tassa Bagawato Arahato Sama sambuttasa. Bhuttang Dhammang Sangam Namasami this is a little uh, anecdote once the master was at prayer the disciples came up to him and said sir teach us how to pray and this is what he taught two men were walking through a field when they saw an angry bull has anyone heard this story did you yeah? <laughs> instantly they made for the nearest fence with the bull in hot pursuit it soon became evident to them that they were not going to make it so one man shouted to the other we've had it nothing can save us now say a prayer quick the other man shouted back i've never prayed in my life and i don't have a prayer for this occasion never mind he said the bull is catching up Any prayer will do. Well, I'll say the one I remember my father used to say before meals. For what we are about to receive, Lord, (laughs) make us truly grateful. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one, isn't it? Nothing surpasses the holiness of those who have learned perfect acceptance of everything that is. So it's very interesting listening to what some of you are struggling with and to realize how how really special this opportunity is because if we can have a glimpse into the truth of the way things are then we have a chance to free ourselves from that suffering but it's almost as if it's not enough to arrive in the retreat center it's not enough to sit down together and close our eyes and then when things start to come up we have to, we still have another step of giving up and this is the most important giving up i think we may have all kinds of attachments worldly attachments so we've given those up at least for a week and we may have all kinds of attachments in terms of our style of practice or what we think is a a good way for the teaching to be presented, or whether we, we like this form of retreat or not. But the real renunciation comes when we sit down and close our eyes and we don't want to give up our addiction to the past, to our injuries, to the traumas, to the past and the future. We still cling to it desperately somehow, not realizing that we're holding on. That renunciation is probably the hardest of all. So, abandoning possessions, or temporarily relinquishing them, relinquishing the comforts of home, the good company, the familiar sights, even relinquishing the right to speak or to do what we like during the day but to relinquish our habits of thought and our clinging and our internal addiction that's the most difficult of all you see on these sheets Nikama does everyone have Have a look with me. We've already talked about generosity and virtue, remembering that these all work together just like the fabrics, fabric of, of a rug woven together creates this solid support. All these ten paramitas, do you not have that? Can you share? I'll read it. We can look together. Just as one imprisoned in jail does not desire anything more intensely than to get out of there, so perfect renunciation is the longing to get out of the prison of impermanence. So here we are caught up in our, our longings, our regrets, our contemplations, our thoughts about this and our that and that, our pain. Our, we have baggage, we're carrying baggage, old baggage. And it gets heavy as we get older, surprise, surprise, it get, it's as if it gets bigger, it gets heavier and heavier heavier. And we seem to be crying the same tune forever and ever. Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly grateful. Can we do that? Can we turn it around and hold this heavy load as if it were something that we can learn from rather than something to moan about or complain about, or make into our personal drama-suffering story? And can we use the the practice to penetrate through to the real qualities of what is it that we're carrying? Who is carrying anything? When we are able to sit still and stop listening to that chorus, hard to say this with this beautiful choir chanting but listening to the committee of voices that are determined to prevent us from letting go of our baggage and instead hear the the sound of Dhamma instead of hearing it as as my misery we realize the truth of who's carrying what when we sit still enough and we penetrate to the three characteristics of our experience. Like in the first insight, some of you have already penetrated to this first insight, Nama Rupa Pari the knowledge of a mental and physical process, that there's consciousness that knows the object, they're different, they're not the same. There is no being in there. There's consciousness and there's an object that is known. And when we're able to be mindful enough to realize that, we start to see the truth of not-self. This is the most important insight that we could... The first, if we can just get to that, we'll have realized something so important. The first taste of not-self. But we believe that there is a self carrying it. So we keep believing the voices. And they drag us down and down and down. We can't get out of our own prison. We can't even realize that there's a tiny bit of blessing in there. We may have made decisions in the past that were unskillful. We may have made choices that caused pain, but here we are now, following the path of the Noble Ones, and we can put that past down once and for all. We can take the guilt, the regret, the remorse, and turn it upside down, empty it, and change it into two very skillful qualities which are known as hiri otapa. Hiri otapa, have you heard of these qualities? Moral shame and moral fear. That's one way of referring to them. Moral shame means, actually it means remorse, but it's a healthy remorse. It's not this kind of punishing guilt. You sinful, horrible person. Woe is me, what have I done? I'm a failure. I'm, I'm evil, I'm wicked, I'm foolish, but hiri is the quality of having understood unskillfulness, and otapa is the quality of knowing that we're not going to repeat it. Now that we know, we're not going to go down that road again. You know when a warrior takes up, if we take up the sword of wisdom, actually, It's not a a weapon to hurt anyone. It's the wisdom that with mindfulness and clear understanding of what we're doing and our commitment to generosity, that means really giving ourselves the best that we can, which is following the path of Dhamma, and our commitment to morality, we cut off the defilement at its root. At least we attempt that. So here we are meditating. This is the highest virtue that we can practice, studying the patterns of thought, studying our addictions. You might think you're not, I'm not addicted to drugs, alcohol, given up cigarettes, even given up coffee. Not yet. But, um, so, you know, I, I don't have any. You're not addicted to food and you study your life. What kind of things? Okay, for seven days, we're not even addicted to talking because we're in silence. But what are those, You know, what are the editorial, what's the commentary that's going on endlessly in the mind? So, with hiri otapa, we practice this abandoning of defilement by saying, no, I'm not I'm not going to feel guilty for the mistakes that I've made, for the poor decisions that I've followed in my life, for the harm I may have caused. That that kama is bringing its results here and now. We regret and we know what that feels like. It's not a nice feeling. And it's so powerful that it gives us the strength to say, I'm not going to go there again. Gonna, we're going to abandon or renounce, this is the big renunciation, we're going to renounce those kinds of addictions. Not just the addiction to believing that there's some kind of solid horrible thing that we've done that can never be let go of, but also that we w- believing that we're always going to be guilty of that, that we cannot abandon unwholesomeness We can. If we can abandon defilement and unskillful thought in this moment by staying with the breath and being mindful of what's arising, then we can do it for another moment. And we can make the adhitana, this is one of the next perfections, not to go there again. That's how we develop the path. That's how we get out of the prison. We don't get out of the prison by believing that we're in it forever. Maybe we feel very safe behind those bars. So why are we, why do we think that we're on the path of freedom? As I said to some of you today, I can't free you, only you can free yourself. And you can free yourself by stopping listening to those voices stop believing in them and take up develop these qualities of spiritual regret it's a virtuous quality where you have remorse and it's a power it's a strength and then you make the decision not to repeat that unskillful kind of action and then by continuing to meditate and purify the mind and seeing the truth that there's no being in there, no solid being that has anything to be guilty about. And the, the past is not real, the future is not real, it doesn't exist. There's only this moment. Then this moment, what, what can we do with it? We can make it pure. How do we make it pure? We unlock the prison door. And we just take one breath at a time. This is called cutting off defilement at its root. Why? Because in that moment of mindfulness, we are lighting the flame of Dhamma. We are bringing the object to our attention. We're fully present, we've restrained all our sense doors we're diving into the breath we're letting go of the past and the future we are completely pure, we're not harming anyone this is the greatest virtue that we could be practicing being totally aware totally present it's a real moment of wholesomeness it's a gift it's a moment of Nibbana actually What in that definition of Nibbāna, it means not an extinguishing of impurity, but it means letting go the fuel of impurity that we keep generating by listening to that clamoring of complaining, critical, cynical, mourning, grieving, worried, anxious, desperate, depressed, chorus of voices from the past just turn them off it's so simple, you just turn it off I can't, turn it off I can't, turn it off because the I can't is also a voice you thought it was real it's just a voice but you have the power to turn it off if you believe in the ability to abandon your addiction then just reach out and press the off button, and go back to the breath. Pure mindfulness of this moment, here and now, is a here and now dhamma. It's so simple, but it is hard to do. Then we can be, when we can do that for a moment, we know that we have the ability to do it for another moment. I can't. What do you do when you hear I can't? What do you do? When the voice I can't starts mm-hmm. raging in your heart, what do you do? Tell it to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Can I ask a question? Yes. When you do that, is, are you running away from it? in the way? No, this yes. is called wisdom. Version. Okay, so what, what I would, in my mind, what I would do then is, Happening, this whole thing, would be to recognize it? Let me go into that a little more deeply. Thank you for your question, Chris. Is the most important thing is to recognize the like the first insight I said, there is a mental process and there's a physical process. There's consciousness and there's there's the process that's happening in the body. Consciousness knows the body. When we practice awareness, the knowing of what is happening in consciousness or the knowing of what is happening in the body, we're practicing mindfulness of our experience. The awareness of what is happening, it's not a person, it's just two processes and the ability to know them for what they are. So in consciousness comes memories. Pain, painful feelings, pleasant feelings, neutral feelings. There come the five hindrances. Restlessness, sloth and torpor, anxiety, greed, aversion, and doubt. Those five things, they're they are not yours. If you feel greedy, it's not it's not like I'm a greedy person, it's just a state of greed. Once you know that greed, there's consciousness knowing, there's awareness knowing greed in the mind. We have the ability to be aware of what is in the mind. And it comes as a result of causes and conditions. If you've been practicing greed all your life or if you're just unaware that greed is in the mind, we feel greedy. But you're not a greedy person. It's just a moment of greed. So if you feel rage It's not that you're a raging person, it's just that we're practicing rage, we're practicing anger for years and years and years due to conditions, choices we've made. This is the result. So if we begin to understand these two streams of process and how they condition each other, and then when you hear that voice and you know that that's just anger or that's just the habit of having practiced anger for years and years and years. We just turn it off. We abandon it right then and there. We're not running away. We're just knowing it for what it is and letting it go. And we're turning the mind to awareness of anger. If you can be aware of the hindrances, then you're practicing the path right there and then. We can have regret for those unskillful choices, and then we can make the decision not to repeat them, not to listen, not to believe in those voices. So you bring up, instead of bringing up the sign of a fire-breathing dragon in front of you, bring up the sign of loving-kindness. Bring up the sign of forgiveness in your mind. Bring up the sound of Dhamma, which is the sound of silence. So we have to awaken, awaken to the purity of this moment. Instead of being destroyed and demolished over and over again by the voices of the past, which do not exist except in consciousness but we believe them to, we take them to be ourselves so we keep repeating that unskillful choice we made long ago over and over and again in this precious moment and we do that then we kill we we destroy our opportunity to free ourselves We just lock the prison gates. But we have the ability to open the prison gates just by understanding what is creating this enslavement. It's our own addiction. Addict, what is the meaning of addiction? It's dependency on a substance. So if we're dependent on our pain for our identity, that's, I mean, think about it. Do you think, who am I? If you contemplate who you are, then it's, in it is going to be this huge complex story, this web of complexity that is based on the past and the future what I can't do and what I didn't do, or what I'm afraid to do, or what I fear, or what I'm angry about. Regret is very important. It has a power. We abandon the past, we abandon the future, and we make a determination to live with purity based on what we're doing here and now. This is, quite, this is not something that really can be explained. It's something that you discover as you breathe and as you rest in the present moment. But if you can just trust, if you can trust that you can open up the prison doors by understanding that they're impermanent. It's just a figment of the mind. Because we believe that there they are. No one is stopping us from walking out the door. because we believe that we can't. So as soon as you believe that you can't, you can't. It's as simple as that. Now, I remember um, when I was living in the Hermitage in New Zealand, there came a time when I didn't get um, meals very regularly and I began to feel quite incapable of, because I started believing that it's going to be like this, you know, if for some reason the rota gets confused and people don't show up for one or two occasions and you're not getting just the basic requisites for practice or for being being in the world actually so I started to project that what, what was this is very typical. So if you you know how when something when someone is hurtful to you says nasty things and then the next time you see them you remember it and you think, "Oh, you know you think that they have the power to hurt you again because they did it before, that's projection because every moment is new, and we have the power not to be hurt by what they might say. But we believe that they, they'll do it again, and there we will. Anyway, we keep repeating our pattern, so I'm, I tend to be quite a fearful person. And of course, I wasn't getting it, and I, I started to be afraid that I wouldn't, that this would continue. I was wasn't going to get these meals in the future, so my fear about what had already happened. I didn't see this at the time, but in retrospect, I did that started to make me frightened that people weren't gonna come and I was gonna be left there to practice on my own without getting the support I needed and I got myself into such a frenzy that I sat down one night in front of the Shrine thinking I can't do this I'd taken lifetime vows and there I was caught up in fear that I wasn't going to be fed and demanding actually when I sat down in front of the Shrine and realized what the consequences of my fear were they were that I was demanding that the Buddha feed me. And I realized what a terrible thing to do. What, a, what an arrogance. How, how much have I strayed from my vows to practice as an alms mendicant it doesn't mean that I'm asking the Buddha to guarantee that I get a meal every day I took vows unconditionally so unconditional means whether people come or not it's for life it's the determination to keep going no matter what But I didn't feel equal to the task. I just felt that I was, I was afraid, I was scared. And then by contemplating what I was demanding from the Buddha, I felt, I felt so foolish. I just suddenly felt quite ashamed. And I pulled myself up and said, I remade my commitment or recommitted myself I gave up, I, I said, all right, I'm going to renounce that. It doesn't matter. Whatever happens, I'm willing to do this for one more day, and one, one day at a time, I can do it. I didn't think I could, but I just decided that I could do it. You don't think you can do it, but you can. I'm still here. I didn't starve. In fact, I realized that what I was really hungry for was not food. I just felt abandoned. I felt like nobody cared anymore. Think of it. It was actually the ego that wasn't being fed. (coughs) The sense of self, poor me, woe is me. You know, do you know that one? I was scared that all by myself, I just couldn't do it. But it was a, it was a sense of self, that old addiction to getting the attention that, that I craved, not getting the, wanting to, wanting to be liked enough that someone would show up with something to eat. It's the wanting, it's the craving that always drags us back into our old prisons. But if we can get a glimpse into that and stop feeding it, then we can have a moment of real freedom and incredible joy and strength to keep going. Now, we don't know how, but we have to trust. I have total faith, total faith in the Buddha. And not demanding, no more tantrum, only if I get a meal every... No, it has to be unconditional. I don't care if nobody shows up. I can do this. Then there's a voice that says, I can't. You press the off button. It's not easy. It's hard. Why, why isn't this room packed with people? If it was so easy to get enlightened, then, then they'd be lining up at the door. Why aren't more people in robes? Because it's tough, it's so hard to do. But you want the highest? You want the, the best, the most sublime out of life? Then you have to make a sacrifice. Yeah. <clears throat> so all we have to do is give up our addictions. And what we're really addicted to, the secret is that we're addicted to unwholesome things, unreal things, dead things, impermanent things, things that don't even exist. There's just They're just voices out of the past, and we believe that they're true and real, and we hug them and embrace them, and put them to bed at night with us, and wake up in the morning and hug them and embrace them again and again, and carry them around and get bent over more and more and more and then we just want to die with them this is our real foolishness wake up we have to wake up we can do it mindfulness is a tremendous power but. It's not just mindful for a moment here and another moment there, or mindful for a few hours a day and then another few hours the next day for seven days and then forget it. That was a nice Mm -hmm. retreat. And then back to our old addictions. But we have to do this continuously. It's a renounce. If we can't, okay, when you go back into lay life and you, you no longer give up the comforts and pleasures of the world, but all I suggest, all I urge you to do is to at least give up and abandon as much as you can forever and a day those unskillful habits of the mind. That's what we really have to renounce. And we have to pick up a discipline in order to do it. So you don't have to give up the pleasures of the world, really, but just give up the the harmful things that you do. Live modestly in purity with wisdom and care and stop feeding those dragons that keep us enslaved and taste the freedom of this path. But don't believe me. (laughs) Just do it! (laughs) Where's Where's that lovely little quote? Okay, I'll just read a little bit from the Dhammapada. This is from chapter five, the fool. I'm not saying this about you. I I am a fool myself. I have been so foolish. Can you imagine how foolish it feels when you realize that you sit down in front of your teacher, I mean, metaphorically, and you think that you're not able to continue practicing because you're hungry, but actually... You just don't want to be forgotten. I remember at that moment thinking that um, I felt like I wasn't even as good as somebody's pet. You know, because people would never forget their pet. So it's just ego. How long the night to the watchman? How long the road to the weary traveler? how long the wandering of many lives to the fool who misses the way. If the traveler cannot find a master or friend to go with him, let him travel on alone, then keep the company of fools. You know, if you really want to travel this path, you have to make changes in your life. To support you. And if you have friends that distract you from skillful ways of living, then maybe you should go on without them. That's something to consider. My children, my wealth, the fool troubles himself. But how has he children or wealth? He is not even his own master. you know when you think about karma you may have children you may have mothers, fathers, siblings but actually each of us is very very alone aren't we? when we're trying to live through our karma no one can save us we've all been mother and father to each other child, brother sister, aunt, and uncle. But we end up, in the end, we're alone again, alone with our little bag of sorrows and troubles, and totally responsible, no one else is responsible for what we're carrying. And day by day we can empty it, that bag of sorrows, bit by bit if we really want to. The fool who knows he is a fool is that much wiser. The fool who thinks he is, a, is wise is a fool indeed. I love this line. Does the spoon taste the soup? Isn't that beautiful? A fool may live all his life in the company of a master and still miss the way." You can go on many, many retreats and not get it. You can be so adept at techniques and not be able to live a skillful life. You can keep the company of wise beings and still be very sloppy in your relationships. you have to just keep asking, what am I doing with my life? How am I living this life? What are the decisions I'm making? Am I letting go the past and the future? The tongue tastes the soup. If you are awake in the presence of a master, one moment will show you the way. One moment of mindfulness is, is enough of a teacher to guide us forward. One moment of mindfulness followed by another. Have the faith, have the courage and the energy I can't yes, you can this is, you know this takes incredible guts. so you're going to be a wimp <laughs> Okay, sometimes we're wimps. But we don't want to languish in that. Because it's, it, that's what we can regret. That's worthy of regret. Giving up. Giving up and believing that we can't is, is to be regretted. And then we cut that off at the root if we can be mindful of despair of discouragement, of wimpiness. Just be mindful of it. Be aware, it's not me, it's not mine. Sit up straight again and keep focusing on the present moment, letting go of the past and the future, holding the painful moment until the pain just evaporates and in its place there's space. You ventilate it, you give it space, you soften into the emptiness and experience the joy. Look! The fool is his own enemy. The mischief he does is his undoing. His or her. Gender is irrelevant here. How bitterly he suffers. Why do what you will regret? Why bring tears upon yourself? Do only what you do not regret, and fill yourself with joy. A one. So that's the rescue remedy. Anybody here know about the Bach flowers? I was telling Nalini, yeah? We had a nun in in our monastery. Her name was Sister Upala. It means lotus, lotus flower. She was, uh, she she came to us when she was in her sixties. At least she came to the Dhamma. And in her old age, she was a little eccentric, shall we say, she was a great poet and had deepest faith in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Well, as she got older, the nuns took care of her. And she became less and less able to dress herself, and so we, we took turns. And she believed in the Bach flower remedies. That was her rescue. But you see, Bach flower remedies are suspended in alcoholic solutions. <laughs> And she was on eight precepts until the last six weeks of her life. It was actually quite touching. So we used to order boxes of rescue remedy for Sister Upala, not realizing that she she was drinking them. (laughs) But it was a real teaching to look after her. So abandoning regret or regretting what is to be regretted and not repeating it again. That's the real rescue. That's the, Take the right remedy and use it. I'm definitely not recommending alcohol, as you know. <laughs> this is not to be done but I'm suggesting that we use the tools that the Buddha gave us, use the antidotes that he taught us for unskillful mind states, cutting them off at the root, abandoning them where they begin, knowing that we are addicts. Each and every one of us have addictions, our addiction to fear, our addiction to anger, our addiction to our own misery our addiction to sitting in the cell and moaning, woe is me, poor me. Just open the door, turn off that tape, listen to the, the voices of holiness. Feel it. And keep going. And you will experience that joy as you never believed possible and I'm testimony to that, if I may say so. Doesn't mean that I don't experience darkness, of course I do. I have to, as I said, I think I've already said this, yeah, sometimes very dark places that the mind will go to. But as long as we're practicing mindfulness, we know that those dark places are not real. We don't have to believe in them as a prison because we know that the light of wisdom is here. And we can just go to it by bringing the mind back to pure presence. Sometimes it's just by shouting a mantra into the wind. I go for refuge to the Buddha, like Sister Upala. I go for the refuge to the Dhamma. In the middle of our delusion, I go for refuge to the Sangha. As the fear is storming over us and over. we feel, we feel like we're drowning, take refuge. Take refuge in what is worthy of refuge and in what will rescue Let's do a little bit of chanting together.